0: I am the Chief Medical Officer at the National Center for Health and Public Housing. It's such a great honor for me to have Zara Marcelian, who is the CEO of Lama Maestra Community Health Center, uh, invited to discuss uh, SDOH screening tools. SDOH, or social determinants of health, are factors such as where patients are born, work, live, and play that affect health outcomes. They are becoming more prominent within the the health industry. Uh, The social determinants of health can point to certain health disparities within a population, specifically in health centers and and federal qualified health centers close or immediately to, to, to public housing. Uncovering social determinants of health and addressing them is critical for improving the health of populations because these factors affect patient health and the possibility of developing chronic conditions later in life. Addressing social needs begins with an effective strategy to assess those needs. Healthcare professionals and health centers must determine which social factors are driving widespread health disparities to intervene. Thus, conducting a social determinant of health assessment is a key to improving patients and population health. Again, uh, it's such a great honor to have Zara Marcelian, who is the CEO of La Maestra Community Health Centers and La Maestra Foundation. La Maestra Community Health Center is a nonprofit, federally qualified health center with more than a dozen locations in inner city areas of San Diego County, including school based and mobile clinics. Nearly 500 staff guide more than 45,000 patients per year to access healthcare and social services. Most of whom are immigrants, refugees, homeless, survivors of violent crime, and low-income individuals with complex health and well-being needs. The La Maestra Circle of Care is a holistic solution-based approach to addressing the health and well-being needs of diverse emerging communities, because complete wellness require more than just a trip to the doctor. So it's such a great honor to introduce. Uh, Dr. Zara Marcelian. Hi, Zara. Hi, Jose.
1: Thank you so much for this opportunity to speak uh, about social determinants of health. And that's, you know, that's really my passion and something that we at La Maestra have been working on for about 35 years. Um, La Maestra started as a nonprofit educational uh, grassroots organization in City Heights, uh, San Diego. Um, and as such, uh, with those 12,000 students that we had that were learning English as a second language, vocational training, economic development, preschool, um, we had preschool, and so it would be youth development. Uh, those populations basically said, you know, we really need health care in this community, and we need to be able to go to a, you know, for one, a medical home that understands us and, um, has people working there that are from our populations. So they could build trust, they would find a lot of resources that the staff would understand them because they had been in their same uh, pathways in life that these patients and students basically were, were finding themselves in. So in 1990, we developed uh, La Maestra Community Health Centers and yes, uh, we eventually became an FQHC, But we brought that philosophy with us and incorporated it in all of our services and programs. And that is, you know, uh, basically creating a holistic model that integrates social determinants into primary care, you know, health services. And so that is, I think, uh, something that's, you know, really important for other FQHCs is to... Understand, A, you know, their their populations, who are the subsectors in their populations. So, for example, like you mentioned, La Maestra uh, works predominantly in communities uh, through 17 sites uh, with uh, populations that are uh, finding themselves in, you know, the low social economic levels. And poverty definitely affects, um, you know, presents multi-layers of complexities that people have to get through. They have to navigate through that. So going to the doctor is very important. But if you're living in the street or you don't have enough food or, you know, you don't see any hope to overcome some of the challenges you're facing, then, you know, then, then that is going to impact negatively your health. And, and it's really um, looking at this from an individual perspective. And I know that you know CMS has definitely recognized that you know there has to be an individual patient-centered approach to addressing social determinants of health. It's not a standard one-size fits, fits all. And with that, I, I would like to you know uh, recommend uh, really strongly that. You know, if an FQHC is listening and they want to obtain some really good up-to-date information from CMS on how, how each state has the ability to create and sponsor initiatives through Medicaid around social determinants. So it's really important for the FQs to know that their state can and should be developing initiatives to embrace Social determinants of health. And there is a state health official letter, it's called SHO, and it's 21 001. CMS just issued this, uh, January 7th, 2021. And it's specifically about social determinants of health. And um, with that said, you know, um, you know it, that, that's a great guidance. On, on, on where CMS is now in terms of their stand and the methodology and the framework that they're suggesting that the states adopt.
0: Thank you, Sarah. and That's very uh, useful information for health centers. Uh, thank you for sharing that resource. And with me is Dr. Saki Malek-Sho. Uh, she is the uh, National Center for Healthy Public Housing Director of Research Policy and Health Promotion. I think we'll be leading some questions on uh, social determinants of health and some screening tools. Saki? All
2: right. Thank you so much. And thank you, Zara, so much for your willingness to discuss your screening activities at La Maestra. Your, um, your experience and your expertise, um, it's very valuable for health centers to hear. So the primary purpose of our conversation is to discuss your Uh, SDOH screening journey. Um, As as you are aware and as you mentioned, there are several standardized screening tools that are available to health centers for them to use, such as PREPARE, such as Accountable, Accountable Health. But we know that you at La Maestra, you've developed your own screening tools based on the needs in your community. So we'd like to try and use our time today to discuss your process, the pros and the cons of these screening tools, the supplemental questions that you've developed to better serve your patients, and um, some of the challenges that you faced in implementing the screening, and then any promising practices and advice that you can share with, with our audience. Um, so our, our first question is just to, to kind of take you back to your, the beginning of your SDOH screening journey. Um, when when did you first start it, and what was available to you at the time? And and just can you talk about that beginning set, stage?
1: Sure. Um, you know, uh, I I would say that the you know when this began for us in terms of looking at social determinants uh, was before even we had the health center. So if you know if you can imagine we're there with twelve thousand students who are applying and we're helping them apply for their amnesty and we're teaching them english and you know about history and vocational training and a lot of other services that basically are included under seoh we had to keep track of what where we were referring people okay um and and so that that was the first challenge there wasn't enough capacity out in in society in our neighborhoods to to be able to refer, you know, for housing, for food scarcity, for economic development. And so that's why we responded to that need and created many of these programs ourselves. Um, And that's why you end with, you know, the La Maestra circle of care. Uh, If you look at the circle of care, you see uh, many different pedals there on this big flower, right? And and you see all of the areas uh, that are non-medical, okay? So economic uh, development, housing, youth development, food scarcity, uh, legal, immigration, um, victim services, and on and on. That's the reason why if there were plenty of places for us to refer to, we would not have had the need to develop these programs. Um, That doesn't mean that we don't have a host of collaborating partners through a robust network we developed over 35 years through multi-sectors, right? So we work very closely with affordable housing in San Diego, Section 8, shelters, transitional housing. In fact, we run transitional housing as well. Um, And and that's just one, one sector I'm giving an example. So we do know which programs are open for which kinds of housing to which kinds of, uh, you know, people that meet the eligibility criteria. And, and still you're left with a lot of people that, that don't qualify for those programs and still are left homeless or in the car community or multifamily sharing, a, you know, two bedroom apartment. Uh, and, you know, all, uh, a lot of other substandard housing and we know that housing is a huge shortage there in San Diego. But that's why it's important to build that collaborative of whatever agencies are out there that are specializing in that sector where you need to send your patients, right? Um, so that that's something that we learned. And you know, not only did we develop a lot of these services, but we still have MOUs, BAAs with um, outside agencies that you know specialize in those sectors. For social
2: services, yeah, you know that's one of the um, one of the biggest challenges that we've heard from other health centers. the The problem with screening for all of these social risks is the need to have resources in the community to refer patients to, and um, and sometimes in some communities there isn't a robust network of social service agencies or organizations that can provide that type of. of um, care, whatever it may be for their patients. So um, how have you all at La Maestra kind of cat- categorized all of these uh, individuals and in these organizations and kind of created a system where you know who to refer to and how you how you push patients out, or not push patients out, but refer patients to these, these different organizations?
1: Yeah, well, it's definitely a very coordinated effort that we continue to learn every day. Okay. Um, it's building those linkages and a lot of what we're talking about in terms of building relationships, collaborations across sectors, not just in the healthcare field um, speaks to what I think is social, you know, social capital. How, how do we um, make available those resources to our patients that we might be providing internally and and bridging to outside agencies, and that involves you know meeting those other agencies, establishing collaborative, you know, agreements, and and getting a true understanding of what the eligibility criteria is of those agencies. Because the you know, uh, I think a good advice is you know be careful not to overpromise, and and give the impression when you're asking all these questions from patients, what are your needs and what are your needs it kind of implies that you have the answer to those needs. So our staff will then, you know, put these kinds of, you know, disclaimers there, like, you know, we understand that housing is really scarce in San Diego. And, you know, there are different programs that do open up. And while we might not have a solution for you finding appropriate housing at the moment, we can certainly put you on a waiting list so when we find out about, you know, new programs through other partners, we definitely will give you a call. So that way it doesn't lead people to think that just because they're giving you the, you know, all the information about their needs that you at the health center are going to be able to fill all those needs. Right. But it, in a way, you're you're able to capture uh, capture this data. Um, you know, in uh, there's academic Literature through you know research that specifically talks about uh, they call it social prescribing when you give referrals for social services and 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 there's you know some articles that caution about um, this specific issue where because it's kind of irresponsible to be asking a lot of questions if you don't have a way to satisfy those needs right so yeah. that's why it's important the messaging between the staff and the patients as to you know why we're asking you these questions there might be some of these services that we could help connect you with either internally or through our collaborative partners you know in housing or economic development or so forth and we and, and we really want to address your well-being. It's more of a holistic approach. So um, and, and because that understanding needs to go with this, you know, we we don't want to be overpromising, and and we want to be responsible about social prescribing. The last thing we want to do is is give people that are already facing multi layers of challenges more challenges by telling them, okay, well, here's some numbers you can go call without first researching to see, does that organization have capacity and do our patients, are they gonna fit the criteria to qualify? So it's not just getting a list, it's actually doing that homework to see, are those agencies able to take our referrals or not? And are they gonna be able to share with us that this person now has had that need met? Because our case management requires us to do that. Can't just refer and then not follow up because then you're not gonna get the data for when you're not gonna be serving the patient, right? Uh, you know, through a quality approach. And how can you evaluate? And then how can you have the data to show that, that, that your efforts around SDOH have been impactful?
2: Right. So there, there is um, a lot of vulnerability from a patient perspective and answering all of these types of questions. And you mentioned that I want to ask you just a very practical question about how you do these screening. Is it at intake? Is it with a case manager? Have you found that certain um, questions or categories of information should be done in one mode versus another mode? Can you talk a little bit about just the, the, the screening process from the patient perspective?
1: Yes, um, screening is, you know, it's very sensitive uh, and, and really what, what seems to work is a multi-targeted um, approach. You know, we have different levels of staff that are addressing uh, the SEOH needs of the patients. Uh, for example, let me give an example. Let's say that, you know, one of our providers has a patient in their office and, um, and, and you know, I'll just give you one that, that actually happened, a pediatrician seeing um, two asthmatic children, same family, and it seemed like, you know, whatever the treatment that was prescribed wasn't working. And, you know, he, he had developed a good relationship with the mother and asked her, you know, uh, about their housing situation. Turned out that the two children were living in the car with the mother because she had to keep moving around. She was a victim of human trafficking. And, you know, all of this came out. And then with that, he was able to refer her to our human trafficking unit, work on getting her immigration status, you know, her applications through the UNT visa, also work sending her to mental health services through our family wellness and other services that were needed through that dialogue. Well, why did that happen? Because the patient already had a trust relationship with the provider, with the organization, because we found that if patients have a trust relationship in one unit, it carries over to them feeling the confidence and the trust to be able to follow up on those referrals. Because it's, it's one thing if you just say, okay, here, go here, and it's outside across the city, somewhere else where they don't have that trust relationship. People are not very willing then to, you know, to make that effort because they don't feel like they're going to be understood. Many of our patients, by the way, um, are very culturally diverse. That means not just from different diverse cultures and languages, but also from their backgrounds. So what we have is a cultural liaison model that we've started from the beginning of La Maestra 35 years ago. And what that means is that we have people that work like navigators, promotoras, but are cross-trained about referrals, intake, you know, the patient service uh, rep functions. Uh, and they have that medical background. So they're from the populations that we're serving. That right away builds trust with patients because they feel like they belong. They feel like they align with the staff because of their culture or their shared background. An example are people that are from the reentry community. If we have uh, community workers uh, that are from that reentry community and have been through, for example, substance use disorder programs they're recovering right they are very effective working with that population same thing with the homeless who do we have working those programs predominantly in terms of community workers and staff and intake and promotoras are people that were homeless so right away that bond is there and that openness to take those you know that advice So staff alignment, cultural diversity and sensitivity is a must for that trust to develop. So your question, who is it in our organization that does that screening? Well, it is a multi-level approach. So we have, for example, a registration unit. So all new patients get orientation about La Maestra, the circle of care, um, and they're asked, you know, oh, you know, what do you have any needs around these other areas? So that's at one level. And then they refer to our units and they keep track. So they do the case management as well. It's not just for new patients. We have, you know, uh, where we re register existing patients every year. So we go through that whole process. Again, Now, that doesn't mean that's the only place or the only staff that deal with screening for SDOH. It happens in the exam rooms as well, as example that I gave you with the pediatrician. In that case, he actually did a warm referral. He walked the patient over because the patient, when when she was relaying, the mother was relaying all of these very sensitive subjects she was crying, she was emotional. So he walked her over to where she needed to go. Other cases, our providers will call the directors of those other units, they will walk over and get the patient. Where that doctor or provider is recording this information is in our I to eye tracks, which is uh, another software system that tracks and gathers data on chronic diseases and, you know, other issues that patients are having. Um, And that's, you know, again, this information will live in different systems that we have. Depends on which staff was doing the screening and what referrals did they do and then who's going to case manage it. But that (laughs) gives you a little idea about, know, um, different levels of staff, all with that same philosophy of this patient is here today, not just for their pediatric visit, but for a well-being check. Yeah, so I have a couple of
2: follow-up questions. One is, how how do you... Train and engage your staff so that they understand the circle of care and also um, so that they uh, uh, understand the importance of screening for SDOH. And then the second, after you answer that question, the second part is just um, when you have this different levels of staff doing different types of screening, how are you tracking? So can you talk a little bit more about your ICEIU track or I'm not sure if I'm getting that right. But the very first question is, is doing that kind of training to your staff, how do you do that?
1: Well, we spend a lot of time with new staff on orientation. They'll go a whole day on orientation. We have different directors come in from these different programs in our circle of care that talk about why this program evolved, what's the purpose, and the, and how does it tie to the overall mission of La Maestra. And so, right away, they understand the philosophy—that holistic, integrated model philosophy—and and basically, then they're able to see what is the purpose. What's the goal? Is to increase access to necessary services, right there. And um, and then there's different mentoring and uh, reinforcing of that training every day on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, you know, our management teams meeting, our directors, uh, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we're always talking about uh, what are the needs that we're seeing? What are the trends ongoing, not just on SDOH, but in general? And so really, it's that, it's that information that we're able to gather at all levels to then be able to think, okay, so where's the, where are the gaps still? What could we do better? It's always this quality check and evolving our program on a daily basis. It's not just we're implementing this and we're done. It's always reworking it. And when we get into the IT um, uh, part here of, of the questions, you'll see what I mean about this constant, um, continuous. It's it's really a living effort, you know, every day.
0: So, Zara, Zara. uh, how do you integrate those pieces of information that each of the providers or the staff collect? uh, uh, If I get a new patient, a patient with diabetes or a pre diabetic patient, and I uh, assess uh, 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 food insecurity, uh, but you have others, uh, you know, probably assessing housing needs or others uh, assessing either the the patient is insured or under, uh, I'm sorry, uninsured or underinsured, or if the patient has any other social needs. How do you integrate all these uh, different pieces of information? Well,
1: let's take somebody that is coming into our registration unit, right? And we're telling them about all these services. We're making appointments for them, uh, you know, in these different units. And and then, for example, eligibility comes up, right, that they need help with eligibility. Well, then they're sent to the eligibility unit. The eligibility folks are talking to them. And sure enough, some other needs going to come up and they're going to feel more comfortable identifying that need, right? So they're getting their eligibility taken care of. It's implemented, all of that information is recorded in our EHR, right? And then um, whatever other referral that, you know, that around their needs is also documented. And I'll tell you how we were able to expand our EHR to encompass that information. So um, I guess the second question that, that we were addressing here was like, how did we start trying to capture all of this data, right? So we started years ago through a small grant that I got from Wells Fargo, but they wanted us to use um, Launchpad Salesforce, right? For our non-medical services. Well, what that meant was that we needed to design the fields that we wanted to be able to capture the data in, right? Um, in our, you know, food scarcity program, transitional housing, microcredit, you know, all of those non-medical units in our circle of care, well, they were able to share, you know, basic, specific, identified data, right, between those units, so the person's not going to have to go repeat their entire history every time they get referred to a different unit, but it still didn't align to our EHR because maybe these people were not patients yet or maybe they were, but there was no way to um, to really connect uh, that data into our EHR. So there's uh, each unit, if you can imagine, like youth development, food scarcity, has their own data that they need to track, right? and then which data could they then share through the salesforce well it got way complicated because this uh, launchpad salesforce then required us every year to pay again per unit and afford it cuz we were growing so we went to quickbase and then we were able to accomplish that through quickbase much better more robust information and it was secure. However, it required our providers to get off of their EHR, log into QuickBase, and be able to keep track of what that patient now has been referred to, Addition additional stuff. Um, but it would never, it was like a dual entry system. And so what happens is that the providers and staff are so busy they're not gonna, you know, end up getting off that system and going on to another uh, you know, like quick base, like in our case. So when prepar came along, um, we thought, well, this is a step closer. And um, and it was great. We were in the original pilot, you know, 2016, 17, I think it went live. The issue is it still didn't capture all of the other social determinants that we offer. So here we have QuickBase still going and we knew we needed to find a way to be able to integrate that data through our EHR. And we kept working with, our EHR is NextGen, we kept working with NextGen, explaining to them the different, um, the different tracks people could be on. So for example, let's say our outreach workers were doing this fantastic job out there. Um, They would create these patient or client profiles because they weren't patients yet. And how do you push that data into NextGen if they're not yet a patient? Well, they will be, hopefully, but maybe they're not yet. Mm -hmm. So that was always our um, challenge. What we ended up doing and, and recently was creating another practice under NextGen that is for our SDOH. So we had to buy the license and, um, and you know create the practice. I think the whole thing together costs us $45,000. And we're able to customize then the fields of data that we wanna capture around all of the other social determinants that we offer like immigration, legal services, you know many other services in addition to what generally is, is known to be SDOH. because we know that if somebody's worried constantly about their immigration status, you know, they pro- their anxiety and their depression is probably not going to get lower until they find some resolution. That is part of well being. Um, that's just an example. And um, now that has allowed us to be able to customize through SSRS. It's a Microsoft program that allows us to customize the reports that are produced through NextGen, or EHR, instead of using the boxed standard reports, we can customize those. And that's what we've done to be able to run reports on SDOH and there be able to see, okay, so could we make the case? Can we see that that our HEDIS numbers are, are you know, for quality are, are much better? Why are they much better? Okay, let's look at the diabetics and let's, let's look at our diabetic patients that have that chronic disease, they have hypertension, other things too, other, you know, challenges. And because they've now accessed health education, they've accessed our food pantry, they've, um, you know, learned through comprando rico y sano, how to buy different, you know, ingredients, through recipes that are going to lower their blood sugar. Okay, So with all of these interventions, we have to be able to say, okay, what has really impacted and improved our HEDIS measures, right? From, From a FQHC perspective. It's very difficult to exactly identify and tie and, and show that correlation, that factor, or that, um, you know, program really did it. No, it's a, it's, it's a combined effort. And, and I think that, uh, I mean, we know that our HEDA scores are really good compared to many of our sister clinics who do not offer SDOH. So let's say they don't have a food pantry, they don't have a robust health education, they don't have cultural liaisons, you know. They just provide the health services, and that's it. So, um, so we're able to make those cases with our health uh, managed care plans, and say, look, you, you know, you have certain incentive pools available to health centers that will, you know, that they can uh, obtain these extra incentive dollars because they're. They're really performing well on their HEDIS measures. And, you know, maybe some of that money could go towards this effort of coordination, case management through the SDOH, um, upgrading your system, your EHR, tailoring it to be able to capture SDOH data. Uh, and, and, that, and that seems as close as we've been able to get to make the case.
0: Zara, thank you so much. Uh, that is uh, uh, great information and the process is, is complex. I, I mean, for somebody who is not familiar with uh, health centers and is listening to this uh, podcast, probably uh, they believe that the only thing that you have to do is just to have a, a screening questionnaire uh, embedded to, you, to your EHR and just go over some of the questions. I, it's my understanding, based on what you're saying, that this is a dynamic process, that everybody yes. is capturing different, different uh, uh, needs, and based on the needs, the patients are referred to uh, community resources or resources already uh, uh, provided by, by Lama Astra. So uh, based on, on, on what you're saying, and this is just to clarify, for those who are, again, who are not health centers or are not familiar with the health center uh, setting, uh, what you're saying is that basically it's not just to have someone, you know, or giving a questionnaire to a patient, a 100 question questionnaire, you know, and the patient gets tired of either checking or unchecking out everything that they, they get, but it's just more like a dynamic process and an interpersonal process with, with, with your staff
1: correct? Yes, and it's all correct. It's all built on that trust. So, we found that the more, you know, the higher the frequency of interaction between the patient and the staff, any staff, the higher level of trust evolves. It's like any relationship, right? You work a relationship. So, if they see our staff in different, you know, for different services, different units, they're more open to share information, right? Uh, because people don't just experience those needs when you ask them through a dialogue, right? Because I agree, it can't be just something a huge questionnaire. Um, but as their journey continues towards a higher well-being, right? Maybe today they didn't have that issue, but in a year or six months from now, they will experience it. So how do we? have that open communication and that trust with the patients. So they're going to share that with us. And so that's why it has to come from many different levels of staff. And everybody has to share that philosophy of, you know, this is a, like a whole centered approach, you know, it's individual, but it's the whole person. It's not just one piece of, of their need, right? Um, and that I think needs to be a philosophy that is shared at every level of the organization and embraced, starting with the board of directors. You know, we've been blessed that our board, board of directors, you know, really understand these issues. They themselves are from the communities we serve. And so they're very supportive. Uh, they've, you know, given us permission to, you know, to keep trying and to keep trying to find mm-hmm. how to connect the, you know, the data and uh, and have these programs basically.
2: Um, I, have a, I have a question that just a little bit to, to, to go back to what you were saying at the very beginning of our conversation, which was about CMS's new policy. And I wanted to ask you about reimbursement for SDUH and screening. And if you could take a moment to talk a little bit about Z-Codes and how you all have been able to incorporate that at La Maestra.
1: I'm glad you brought me back to that because um, I wanted to share that through CalAIM, which is the state of California, it's an initiative. um, The state basically uh, created uh, health homes, program and it is to address social determinants with a very small subsector of our populations, but at least it was a start. So what we do is we work with our managed care plans to identify their members who fit the eligibility that's already established through health homes, which is through in the state of California. And to give you an example, some of the criteria is that the patient must have been in the ER once in that year also had experienced homelessness, chronic disease, um, and substance use disorder, for example. And so you have to meet, you know, many different criteria for that member, your patient, to be eligible. And then what's happened is that our health homes program is totally based around case management. So we have housing navigators for that population right through the health homes program. And we've ended up with the health plans referring us, their members that are not La Maestra patients, but are other FQHC's patients to navigate their members through all of these SDOH services. And for that, there's a set reimbursement, and there's a whole methodology there. Now that's wonderful, but again, that's a small sector of what we know our entire patient population needs, because people face a lot of, you know, uh, complex challenges, and they're multi-layered. It's not just one at a time, so. <laughs> you know it's impossible that you're going to get a patient in that's only needing medical service here today. It's most probably the case where they are experiencing other needs that are going to impact their health and their well-being that need to be addressed. Unfortunately, there's nobody yet that we can, send, you know, fill out an encounter and send and get some reimbursement because we followed up, identified that they had, you know, a need for, you know, around food scarcity, because we're all located in food deserts, we know that, um, nobody's gonna pay us for that. So what we've done up until now is try to identify grants and they're very small, you know, or designations, like La Maestra started as the food pantry years and years and years ago. Just through donations, we'd run around collecting food, okay, um, non-perishable, of course, and uh, that expanded. Eventually, we uh, contracted with the Food Bank, uh, Feeding America. We are designated now as a super center for food, um, and we distribute diapers and you know wipes and blankets and whatever else that gets pushed through, whatever other resources get pushed through this one second and you know, it's huge. It's a huge coordination. Does anybody pay us for that? No, they don't. We can get small grants, but a lot of that is going to be financed through operations. Unless, you know, like other FQHCs, we just keep, you know, referring out to the local, you know, food distribution, either through churches or so forth. But what we found with that was years ago, A lot of our patients wouldn't meet the eligibility because they were only giving to people, let's say 65 and older, um, or, you know, you had to establish that you were, you know, a legal resident of the United States. Okay. Well, that's going to be another barrier, right? That's why we created our own food pantry. Um, yes, we continue to work with the local, you know, churches and, um, you know, and other agencies that are there to provide more hot meals or more produce or, you know, other kinds of food staples. And I'm not saying we do it all ourselves. We couldn't possibly, but where we can collaborate, we do. If not, we try to build our programs. But in terms of reimbursement, you know, it's still going to be, Uh, I know that CMS and this guidance has spoken about alternative payment methodologies to FQHCs. And, you know, speaking as the CEO of an FQHC, I always get nervous when I hear about alternative payment methodologies because we have our PPS right now. And, um, you know, I'm always worried that whatever that alternative payment methodology is going to be, it might not be... You know, what we have in terms of our PPS, at least we're guaranteed that. But I am looking forward to see what other reimbursement is going to be included around the provision of SDOH that might be attached here or added to our, you know, our payment methodology reimbursement.
2: Thank you so much. You're so, you're so <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, I, I think, Jose, if you don't have any further questions now, we're going to open it up to Zara for her advice that she has to share with other health centers. Any topics that you want to comment on that you've learned along the way that you think would be beneficial for other health centers to hear?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, I would again find out uh, what information the state has, you know, your state that you're in. Um, in terms of how they are going to incorporate SDOH, either through direct reimbursement or through the managed care plans in your area, contact the managed care plans and ask if they have anything similar to what I described as our health homes model. And it's based on a whole person-centered, holistic uh, framework. So maybe the managed care plans are looking at how they're going to start um, addressing SDOH with their members. Well, they're not service providers, so they're gonna contract with you around that. And of course, look at you know, who your populations are, identify those subsectors that are going to have additional needs and who, who in your you know, city, in your area is providing some of these services around SDOH and what are the eligibility criteria that they have, so you're not referring them automatically without, you know, knowing that perhaps your patients are not going to be eligible or they don't have the capacity. And then look at the found private foundations, um, in terms of you know what what funding could you secure to either coordinate this effort, uh, coordinate case management effort, which is huge, um, and build these collaboratives in each sector, housing, food, economic development, higher education, youth services, um, and on and on, immigration, whatever. And and it's amazing how, when you start looking outside the sector, you can find like-minded, like mission-driven organizations in those sectors that are more than willing to work with FQHCs. And that's how you build that robust very resourceful collaborative network. So if you can't provide those services through the FQHC, how can you refer and track and case manage patients that you refer to your collaborating agencies? Very important to have those linkages. And advocacy, I mean, we've been doing advocacy around SCOH for years in every sector. Every presentation that I do always comes back to well-being. And and how how, how can we as FQHCs contribute to our patients' well-being, knowing that the communities we work with are very vulnerable, they're marginalized, they have a lot of health disparities, and how do we address those through a holistic, integrated model? We have a long way to go. La maestra still will continue on with this um, daily uh, exploring and and tweaking the system and adding this and you know modifying that um, and tons of training with our staff.
0: Thank you, Zara. I mean, this has been very, very uh, helpful on your experience the best practices and, uh, and everything that you have done for many, many years will be a great resource for health centers. Um, I'm not sure, uh, Saki, do you have any extra questions for? Uh, I don't
2: have anything else. Um, thank you so much, Sarah. This has been extremely helpful and educational for myself and I'm sure for all of the listeners that um, are, are participating on the call too, so.
1: No, you're, you're very welcome. And if, you know, it, I, I, I've been trying I tried to do justice to each one of these, but, you know, each one of these questions could be, you know, an hour long talk uh, just around, let's say IT solutions and, and our lessons learned and, you know, how other FQHCs could on other systems, you know, kind of uh, try to replicate uh, this solution for example, or, or maybe they have other issues that are going to interfere with that. What are some workarounds, you know, that they could, uh, that they could try? Um, so around that piece of our talk or around IT or around, you know, training or cultural uh, alignment that builds trust, uh, that whole dialogue between the staff and the patients and, and how to, how to formulate that. You know, rather than handing somebody a list of questions that kind of goes nowhere and people might not want to answer um, because they don't know who's going to get this information. Right. Uh, So, yeah, each one of these subtopics could be its own um, podcast, I guess. So anyway, uh, I hope that this has been helpful. And um, yeah, I look forward to any questions, any follow up. Um, that the listeners might have uh, of course we're very open to sharing whatever's worked with us and uh, you know hopefully some of that can be you know been replicated in other parts of the country with other populations that are facing health disparities and that's my hope and uh, I hope it's been beneficial thank you so much
0: thank you Sarah, on yeah. um, to our listeners um uh PSPC friends and other health centers. If you have any questions, uh, you would like to address any questions, uh, please visit our website uh, www.nchph.org. You will find our contact information, and we will make sure that Zara gets your questions and, and any additional feedback or information. We will be the link between you and Zara. So Zara, again, thank you so much. Uh, it's been such a great pleasure uh, to see you, and, and again, for your experience, your expertise, your and your best practices sharing. Thank you, and have a great, great day. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.
2: Bye-bye.